It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, welcome back, everyone, to our CBOC day one of our three-day online convention. And in this session, we're going to talk about thought leadership in the field of IO psychology and how to be a leader of the charge, which I always read as change because we're having a charge to change to make IO psychology the number one field in the world of all the fields combined. I almost spilled my coffee. Uh, (laughs) I feel like it should be changed too, Tom. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to drive the change for charge or the charge for change. Um, So Destiny and Dr. Jeremy, jump in here. Where do we start? So I think we should start with thought leadership. So I think how many of you have probably heard this term maybe have used this term, maybe have read up on this term, are wondering what in the world is this term, right? So, (laughs) but the, the idea here is that thought leading is also part of kind of our fields overall, right? So, I mean, think about the concept, like the idea of like starting with any, any construct, any idea, idea generation. It's about really that the thought of something or understanding based on, you know, experiences or evidence on how to move forward. So one of the reasons we chose thought leadership as the the skills badge, as this micro-credentialing journey is because there's a lot of identified uh, competencies or skills that thought leaders, and a lot of this is anecdotal still because thought leading is still kind of a new term, a new construct. So this anecdotal idea of thought leading and these ideas of skills that create are these recognizable traits or attributes that make a thought leader. And so that is why these sessions are designed, the ones that are specifically selected, because there are some, you know, key attributes or key competencies that thought leaders should have if we're going to categorize them. And so, for example, um, understanding your area of expertise, creating an online presence, establishing yourself as a resource. That's one of the things we'll be Mm -hmm. talking about, too. Being authentic. Understanding research, you know, successful thought leaders are uh, consumers of articles, podcasts, videos, media, books. So we we gather information from, you know, relevant sources and and speak to the relevance of things. So that is where we're trying to make the connection of thought leadership and, and IO psychology as a field. And really, we do need thought. I mean, when I think of thought leadership, especially in the world of business, it's a lot about where are we going with business? How is work going to change? Um, It was really interesting. About a year ago, I was talking to an economist who he and his partner and his organizations are actually changing the balance sheet. Um, They've got approval. I think it's in both Canada and United States right now. And I think they're working in North America where employees actually are going from 
an expense on the bottom line to actually an asset. And so that sort of thought leadership is, is to me, is that's where the IO fit right in. And especially when we're looking about the hybrid or remote work world, you know, and, and how do we move forward? I'm going to look at an IO psychologist to sort of give me some insight about not only what can work, what can be done, but best practices of how to get there. So right now I've put you, in, you know, you're a thought leader, you're leading the charge, you're leading the change. So how does the IO psychologist prepare themselves for that when everything, especially in the world of work is changing so quickly? I think that's almost an ideal uh, ideal type of state to be in when we're talking about thought leading because there is a lot of transformation. There is a lot of change. There is a lot of difference. You know, one of the things about our field that I love so much is that it is so broad. And I say that because we are a field that likes to keep up with the trends, right? So we keep up with the trends of the workforce. I mean, if you're paying attention, you're like you said, you're seeing the trends. But if you look at the trends of the workforce, a lot of the challenges embedded within those trends are foundational, like communication. Like we're going back to the basics. We're teaching people how to communicate. We're teaching people how to, you know, uh, deal with change in a in a, an environment. You know, contingencies and things like that. Those are all foundational. Those are all part of humanity and part of the like natural life cycle of just being a human, right? And, and just being present. <laughs> so I think thought leading is really like, you know, if IO psychology, because I think once again, it's a, it's a field that is sometimes misunderstood really enables us to show up as thought leaders, period, because we're keeping up with the trends and the change and the transformations, but yet we're also still paying attention to foundation. Well, it's one thing to be a thought leader, but it really doesn't matter if people aren't listening. So, you know, and I'm sure that, you know, you've been in situations where, you know, even if an organization invites you in to look, you know, at their company and how it can be improved, they might not want to hear the results. I think it was either you or Dr. Jeremy, I think was telling me that one of the questions you'll always ask leaders is, you know, when you first meet them is, if I discover you're the problem, do you want me to tell you? So (laughs) how do you get people to listen? Jeremy, would you like to answer that? I see Jeremy is back. <laughs> I would not like to answer that, but I will oblige. <laughs> and Jen, I mean, so it, it depends on, on, you know, know your role. Like, what is your role in that particular thing? Because oftentimes it's, you're looked to as the expert. So you're, they're looking for suggestions and you are to make recommendations based on your findings and present those particular recommendations. Sometimes it's a menu of recommendations with the top recommendations based on different parameters, what's important for a particular initiative. But in terms of how do you get people to listen to, again, it goes back to that example I said earlier about you may want to start a candle business, but now you've got to be a marketer. You've got to do this. and you, so, But you also have to know how to sell and, and negotiate and persuade. I loved, I, I can't, uh, Destiny, who was the one that posted and it was shared on the CBOC thing today, an infographic for IO Psychology Awareness Month. And I, I commented on it. I'm just really bad at remembering specifics. I commented on it and I said, I see my niche in there. What's your niche? And then, and then I think Brandy, you commented on it. Anyway, Brandy, do you want to share the link to that if you can find it? All right. See, we love our little community here. 
But I, I loved in the infographic there is negotiation and persuasion because you also have to know how to sell it. So you're like, how do we get people to listen? Tom, I'm going to sound like a broken record to you and probably to a lot of people. It's how do you how do you take in like it, everyone has their own self interest no matter what, no matter what. So how do you look at it through each person's perspective? And this is where personas come in. And Sharon McLean taught us a lot about personas, Tom. And I was doing research recently for. I couldn't even tell you, but it was like, it was this week and it's all about, it's all about personas. Gosh, I was just doing research on it. I think yesterday, I can't remember what the project was, but looking at personas, there's so much going on looking at personas, really. And that's what marketers do is they break down like, all right, who's my client? What are they thinking about when they get out of bed? So in tying it back into thought leadership, it's, there's a couple of questions that you can ask yourself every day in terms of thought leadership. And I think what you're talking about more, Tom, is being a thought futurist, which is what that gentleman, you were talking about him, I forget his name, but uh, about employees being uh, an asset uh, on, the, on, the, on the company books. Right. But it's, it's about looking at like whatever these particular initiatives, initiatives are. And then you have to do, you've got to do that radio DJ thing. Where if you're, it's a board, you've got to be able to talk to the entire board at once while talking to each of them individually. So there's a little bit of homework there. But if you can tie it in to what people have to gain versus lose, how will their tomorrows be better than their today's? Mm -hmm. Think about what their biggest challenges are and their biggest fear. And this all goes back to what Lee said about an hour ago about you got you have to ask the really good questions. And then what do perfect worlds look like? And then what's feasible? And then when you're thinking about this in terms of being a, you know, a thought futurist or a thought leader, it's, it's really what don't, you know, if you sat down and did this every day, you write down, what don't I know? What, what don't I know that I don't know? You can't really answer that because you don't know what you don't know, but it'll start to expand your brain and expand your thinking a little bit for that. You can also sit there and say, what are the, what's a challenge? What's one of the biggest challenges? What is the most wild and crazy way that this could possibly be solved that doesn't make any sense at all? And maybe you do some kind of a mind map, but eventually you start to pull things from those wild and crazy ways of things that can be solved. And then you start to come up with particular answers. So there's all th there's all kinds of like self-check questions I think that we can ask ourselves to take ourselves. The other thing I like to think of is a lot of times when we're we're having a problem or when somebody has a very difficult problem, the same problem has likely occurred to somebody else throughout the history of humankind and somebody has probably solved that problem. And because we can assume that somebody solved that problem, how might they have solved it? How might somebody solve it 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road? What are some of the tools that are going to be available that can be mixed and matched with how they solved it before? And again, it's about expanding that mind and expanding the perspective. And then within there, we have that magic, which is called momentum, and the other magic, which is called a little bit of excitement. So we start to grab onto that. Now, all of a sudden, we understand it and we start to communicate that. And in there is communicating that particular thought leadership. You know, we we now casually here at CBOC just use that word leadership. But there's a lot of people who don't want to be leaders. 
Um, is you know, and may, maybe every IO psychologist wants to be a leader. Maybe they see that as part of their role. But for some people who don't see themselves usually in that leadership position, how do you get them moved over there? How do you how do you get IO psychologists, especially those who are just coming out of a of a program, to take that leadership? mantle or do they have to wait a couple of years until they gain a little experience so two things on that first there are and we i think we did a we actually did we did a podcast on this like maybe like in the 80s uh number 80s range where it was what about the people who don't want to be uh, a leader because some people don't some people like it that part of being an individual contributor keeping their nose to the grind doing the research doing the data and analytics being behind, behind the scenes and that's perfectly perfect. I mean, how many, you know, when you look at industry world, like worldwide or just in the US, you look at the number of doers versus leaders, the doers by far outnumber the leaders because we got to have people that are doing things. But leadership also is leadership is everywhere. So do people do people have to wait? was your question in order to start to become a leader with where they're at. I mean, you look at leadership is everywhere. If you're a big brother, right? You're a leader. If you have kids, you're a leader. If you're a friend to someone, you're a leader. If you are at home and you never see anyone in the world and all you have is a dog, you're a leader. So leadership is everywhere. And there's always the opportunities to do that. In organizations, it's interesting because like the smaller the company, so if a company's smaller, if you're working for a smaller company, you can do more of those things where you're helping helping more people out and trying to get that reciprocation thing going but the larger the company is that you're working for the more that the person's like the more likely the person's going to take it for granted and then expect you to do it so there's this whole balance thing in terms of the initiative that you're that you're taking but one thing that's helpful it always goes back to how can i be i'm going to be helpful to this person by doing blank which he or she will appreciate. And that's the common key there because then you're starting to do things like even if you're, you can be, this This is a very simple example of leading. If you're in a meeting with a bunch of people, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room, know everything on the topic, but here's how you can lead that conversation in the meeting. I talk about this a lot, Tom, just be the spider. You just create a spider web of what everyone said and you start to pull things together. Like, look, what this person said ties in with what this person said. This comment was validated by this. Now we start Now we start to have some direction with where we might go with this initiative. And I think that so-and-so, because of your project man- management skills, might be able to add on to what so-and-so said. So that's leading right there because you're leading that meeting to a place better than where it normally goes, which is non-action, people not feeling involved, and just another meeting for the sake of meetings. So I think it's entirely possible for IOs to do it in a strategic, helpful way. And Tom, I was thinking, Tom likes to pause this sometimes because then people start to pay attention to you. But then I realized I didn't really have anything super exciting to say. So my pauses ran out a little farther. But Tom, (laughs) Tom, back over to you. Well, speaking of leaders, Dr. Patty Delgado is with us. Hello, Dr. Patty. Go ahead. Hi, everybody. Thank you all. This is amazing. Thank you to Dr. Jeremy, Dr. Destiny, and all the team that's put this together for the next three days. Super excited to be part of it. Yeah, I just wanted to add to the conversation around thought leadership and some of the struggles that I see um, us IOs take is that when we talk about niche, like what is your niche? 
I find that we all want to do everything. Like I love everything. I love if you know, there's that that list on CBUC. If you go to the CBUC website, there's that list of expertise that we all, I think, collectively as a as a group created, right? And there's so many change management, performance management, wellness. If we all, what we're doing at the Bridgify Group is we're dissecting that list, actually, um, bucketing it a little bit. But what we're finding out is that we love all of it. Like if we were to say I'm a niche in or my niche is in whatever um, topic, for me, I love this. I love performance management. I love you know change management. Um, what we're asking our team at the Bridgify Group to do is really think about what you, we all love. IO and all the, what IO has to bring, but what do you really love when it comes to your niche? Like what really comes naturally to you? What do you wake up in the morning wanting to do? I'm a researcher, IO. I love researching. That's what the Bridgify Group does. And I can wake up every morning wanting to get in front of the computer and read journal articles. That's just, you know, but so we're to try to find where your thought leadership is, is first creating what is your niche as an expert in IO and really start dissecting the difference between I love this part of IO to I really love this part of IO. Like I can put my whole like skills and life around it. If we can do that a little bit better as IOs, then I think us being, being able to communicate what IO does from your lens of expertise and love of the field would be a lot easier for people to recognize and digest. So when people ask me as an IO, what are you an IO? I say, yes, I'm an IO. What does an IO do? We get all the same questions. And IO is this and this and that. And I say, but I'm an expert in research when it comes to IO. And I'm an expert in change management. Like there's just one or two of that, those parts of that list that I really have honed in on, taking time to reflect on. So in your journal that you all are doing, take time to reflect on and then really become that niche. Then your thought leadership will start building. Your confidence will start building. You'll be able to publish blogs. You'll be able to talk to that. And whenever your name comes up, they're going to be like, oh, yes, I know so-and-so. They're an expert in this. Doesn't mean you can't do any of the other stuff in IO, but I think as we start defining our thought leadership niche, taking some time to look at that list and really defining what that looks like for you and all your lived experience and, and your personal experience and your love for IO would be like, it'll take you to the next level. We're seeing that in our team and that's what we're, we're doing currently with our team with the Bridgeify Group. So I would check that link out. I don't know if we can, maybe I'll look for it and I'll put it in the chat. So people can see those different options that iOS to offer, but just a little food for thought. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. You're looking sharp and handsome as ever. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> um, I love compliments, uh, but let me ask you, because, you know, when it comes to thought leadership and, and leading in general, it's not just with the Bridgeify group and with, you know, the IO psychology market, you're also doing some incredible, incredible work with the Latin community, you know, with, you know, thought leadership and leading the charge, leading the change. So can you talk a little bit about that and how, you know, all of these IO skills, everything you're doing with the Bridgified group can go to a larger context. So you can take it to something, you know, kind of related, but totally different. And it's just working so well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes. The Bridgified group has a division called El Puente Institute, which focuses on supporting um, Hispanic, Latino, Latinx, Latin um, professionals in the workplace to advance, to gain uh, deeper skills. Because I've been able to learn this process of creating my niche and what that niche looks like for me personally, from a personal vision and mission and goal to a professional, like what is my goal and mission, I've been able to now expand my the Bridgeify Group to something else that's super important to me and super part of who I am, which is my Hispanic culture 
and um, helping out the community, the Hispanic community. So this is why this process of uncovering your niche or what you really love to do is so important so early on at any, actually not even early on, any part of your career as an IO, because then you can build on that and create other types of, of organizations or initiatives that, again, are being pulled from your heartstrings, right, and pulled from your passion strings to then expand. We will always use all our IO skills. I use them in the Institute. I use them doing my work with the Latino community and with my clients that are looking to advance their own Latinx workforce. We'll use our IO skills in everything we do. We do need to take that time to really look at what that looks like for you individually in your work, in your profession. But El Puente Institute is an amazing part of the Bridgify Group, and we are doing some great work on research, in training and development, in coaching, and also in educating non-Hispanic leaders about the Hispanic community and what really makes us tick and function from that, those heartstrings. Again, everything about what we do in, in my in our company and with our team, it's about the heartstrings. So I do tell my team, what do you love to do? Because that's where everybody works more efficiently from. We know this. So, but yes, thank you, Tom, for, for letting me <laughs> give a little bit about it with the Institute. Well, you're very, very welcome. And you know, I think next time I direct another major musical, I'm going to bring in an IO psychologist because they're really, really needed in rehearsal. <laughs> Lee, let's go to you. Dr. Patty brought up a really good, a really good point. You know, we talk about niche and that, you know, you need to, to narrow that down and define it and get in your lane and all these kind of things. But the reality is so much more than that, because if you think of IO psychology, it's kind of like a pyramid. So your niche is at the top of that pyramid. But as you go down all the way down to the bottom, which is basically a generalist, is all of those skills and that knowledge and all those things. And it's all one big monolith. It's all one big thing. And so you may focus it all down to that one little niche, but it all touches everything else. I mean, if you're a leadership development person, you're also looking at employee development. You're looking at change management. You're looking at org development. It's all connected. Even though you're going through one door, you're walking into the house of IO. And so we, we don't need to get wrapped around the axle. Oh my God, I got to only do one thing for the rest of my life. That's not what we have to do. And, and like Destiny said, loves all the things. Well, there's nothing that says you can't do all the things. You just may have to narrow it down a little bit when you're looking for a job, and that's okay too. I do want to touch real quick on the uh, the thought leadership thing because I think that there's there's something we want to keep in mind that we want to strive to be a thought leader, not to be called a thought leader. Because you know, a lot of times, you know, I don't know, maybe this is just me, but if I'm like on LinkedIn and I see somebody's profile, the first thing is says thought leader. My first thought is, are they really? Are they really? And a lot of them are not or at least not thoughts that I'm wanting to follow. So I think the, the, what we should strive for is to base ourselves, to get that knowledge, to get that experience, and to spread that out so that others look at us and think, that's a thought leader. Not that I need to put it on a business card or my resume or my LinkedIn thing, but you know, I think somebody earlier, I think it was Destiny, talked about your legacy. I mean, what do I want my legacy to be? Well, you know, if somebody says, hey, that guy's a thought leader, sweet but I probably will never call myself one because it's not about the title. To me, I gain this knowledge and I share that knowledge with others because we're a community. And when I share that knowledge, people share knowledge back and I learn more. And, you know, it's a two-way street. And which one of us is the thought leader? 
are both of us thought leaders. I mean, yeah, my, my brain starts hurting when I start trying to think through all that. So just be part of the community and uh, and, and be a resource because that, that's our topic, right? Being a resource, be a resource to others. When somebody says, hey, I'm looking for this, you go, I know a guy and make a connection. You know, and this community has been fantastic for that. I mean, I, I can't, you know, I'm actually at that point where somebody's like, hey, I need this. I, I know somebody. Let me, let me, let me connect you to them. And that's fantastic. And people are like, what can I help you with? I'm good. But what do you need? I think that's where we, we're, we're going as a community. Well, now that we are becoming this community, now that we are this group, we are this large collection of individuals and we're diverse and we learn from each other and it's an amazing thing. And when it comes down to it, I don't have the, thing, the same thing as Dr. Patty has or as you have, Tom, or any of the other members of our group. And if somebody says, hey, I need research, well, I'm going to go, you need to talk to Dr. Patty. I mean, I've done some research, but we need to go to the source. And uh, so we're going to go to the expert. And thankfully, I know one. But- well, is it also true to say that, you know, if you listen to Work Cookie, for example, where there's great thought leaders, they're sharing wonderful information, and then you start to share some of that information with the people you're working with, aren't you a thought leader? Well, you I won't say you're not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and and really the when it comes down to it, the knowledge is the important part, not as much the the source. But that said, you should give credit if you if you get somebody thank me for posting, you know, the graphic earlier. And I'm like, oh, that's not my graphic, that was Danielle's. I provided the information, but it wasn't mine. And I think that that's so important, at least for me personally, that if I get something from you, then I need to share that that's where that came from because you shared it with me and it and it's my responsibility to move that along. You know, and if I'm like, and, and if that work cookie, I'll say, man, I heard that and even if I can't remember who said it, and I'll unfortunately there's a lot of times I don't, because there's so many great people and so much great information, but I'll go, hey, you know, I was on the work cookie the other day and somebody brought up this this point, uh, you know, that whatever that was. And I think that's gonna really help you out. I think maybe you should maybe you should listen to that episode. There was some really good information. But Am I claiming credit? No, not so much. You know, there's plenty of those people out there to do that. You know, they don't need me to do it. I have many conversations every week that start with the line. I get to spend an hour every week with some of the smartest people in the world. And here's what they're saying, because I love work cookie. Dr. Juliet, let's go back to you. Okay. Everybody knows I'm here for the people in the comments. So I just wanted to point out some things. I know as Dr. Jeremy was speaking, One thing I highlighted as we speak about like leadership, right? One thing I highlighted is leadership is not always assigned to a title, right? It's mostly assigned to the impact that you're able to make and the influence you're able to have. You can be a manager, but if you don't move them to drive the change uh, that you need them to do, then your leadership is not as effective. So I want to highlight some of the comments that I scribbled down. Dr. Shanika Nelson, I love your last name. It's the most beautiful thing to me and music to my ears. Uh, She says, visibility doesn't always equal leadership. Dr. Pamela mentioned leadership is a behavior, not a position, not a title. Okay. And I also want to piggyback on Dr. Patty because she's mentioning finding your niche. And of course, as she said, your brain is just running a million miles a minute. And I heard Rodriguez say that she's interested in DEIA. I heard Ben Yehuda, I believe I'm pronou- if I'm pronouncing your name correctly, he said he wants to focus on the human experience and performance. 
think back to when you were in your grad programs or your undergrad programs, and especially those who are working on their dissertation or their thesis, there's something called scientific merit, right? And so when you choose your research topic, you want to find something that has scientific merit, and you can do that by finding a gap, right? And so think to your experiences, what is the research saying? What gaps are you finding in your research? What gaps are you finding in the data? What populations are you finding that are not as represented? What topics are you finding people are having trouble conceptualizing, even in your organization? What are some of those topics that you find that either leaderships, leadership or managers or your colleagues are like, what is that? Or what does that mean? That could also inform the direction you go into as you develop this concept of thought leadership and how you can make an impact and influence people to drive change. There is a a new book that's out and he also has a series. His name is T.D. Jakes. Um, He is a a religious leader, but he came out with a book called Disruptive Thinking. Disruptive Thinking, I apologize. And it's really identifying those areas that need some change that needs some impacts right while you might feel an area is oversaturated your expertise right when we're talking authenticity and brand and your technical skills the way you do it and your unique unique approach to it is how you can build that thought leadership in helping people as an IO to drive change. So that, um, I just wanted to speak to that point. Look at areas that you can disrupt. Look at those gaps in research. Look at the gaps in data where it's like, okay, this is a niche that I can really build my subject matter expertise in and impact and influence people to drive change. Dr. Patty, she spoke about, you know, how she's impacting the the Latino community. I spoke about being Haitian American. And I know, again, there are so many cultures that are represented here, whether you're a parent, whether you're a partner, whether, you know, you're, you're taking care of an aging parent, right? Diversity is not solely limited to race and gender. And there are so many intersectionalities there. And so you might find that, I don't know, the concept of psychological safety um, might be covered in one area, but perhaps there's more opportunity to understand it more in others. And I hope I'm not going to step on toes by sharing this, but I found that women are wildly overrepresented in the IO space, right? And men are not, but you know that they're in higher spaces, but that can also be a niche area, right? Because when we're talking diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, and belonging, people in power also need to feel like they belong. So how do we conduct research on them to understand where the limitations are, to understand the gaps and see how we can serve them and how we can empower them to also make the change that we need to see in our workforce. IO psychologists are really change agents then. I mean, as we're looking for a brand new world, we want to sort of come forward into it. It, I'm depending on you guys, (laughs) all you IO psychologists and HR professionals to really create that bigger and better world. Uh, Dr. Rajadik, let's go to you. Oh, I took my hand down because I knew Juliet was going to take up um, <laughs> some, some space, but probably say all the things that I wanted to say anyway. So I like all of the points that have been brought up in terms of leadership and this and how the impact is more or less what you want to be recognized as a leader and not the title itself. Um, I think that is a critical point to make here in this space is that you're not more or less looking at who you are in that organization, but 
what what difference are you going to make? What impact are you going to impart upon your sphere of influence within your organization, whether you have two employees, whether you are the leader of a dog, like um, Jeremy said, or whether you have 50 employees. It, it's all about that impact and training the your direct reports on how to be leaders as well. And oftentimes, as Juliet had mentioned, Dr. Nelson had mentioned, is that when leaders are in that position up top, sometimes it's lonely too, and they don't have a good coach. They don't have a good um, network to lean on to help them be more effective. So as IOs, we had that opportunity to provide that training and development to those leaders as well. Does that kind of leadership also entail giving opportunities? I, you know, I know as, you know, someone who likes to think as someone who leads in the artistic community, one of the things I can do is give opportunities to other artists to get involved in their art and get it on display. Is, is that part of this leadership too is, giving opportunities so others can exceed? Yeah, I think that's a great uh, a great philosophy as a leader is that I'm not just here to look pretty and, you know, give directives, but who can I bring up behind me that I can train that wants to be a leader as well, that I see potential, or maybe they don't see the potential in themselves and, and I can help them see that potential in them, provide them some skills. You know, as you just mentioned, give them the opportunities of, of maybe leading a project, leading something small, and then building on that where they can develop that confidence and then develop that muscle as, as a leader. Well, thank you for that. Lee, let's go to you. No, we had a we had an entire podcast episode on this about uh, you know leaders and whatnot, and I think as a leader you owe it to those you lead to to develop them to to enable them to be leaders if that's what they choose to do, and to encourage them to take risks, encourage them to fail, and to provide a space to fail safely. Now, all that said, you know you need to recognize that everybody wants to be a leader, at least in title. I mean, you can be a leader who has nobody who reports to them. I think that was pointed out in the in the chat. And that's so, so true. When the stuff hits the fan, who do they look to? That's a leader. Now, he may not have anybody who reports to him and never will and is happy with that. But that doesn't mean he's not a leader. Now, when it comes to a title of a leader or a manager or whatever, one of the worst things that we do is take people who don't really want to do that and promote them. Mm-hmm. And then they and then we and then we add insult to injury. We don't train them. And then. They fail spectacularly, and we go, well, what happened? He was so great. He was great at pushing the button, but not on directing the people who push the buttons. And so we have to understand that. And, and one thing we talked about during the episode was it, how about we do something radical? Why don't we have two tracks? Why don't we have a leadership track and we have a technical track? And we take those people who just who just want to do the job, and we give them the opportunity to still get the promotion, the pay, whatever the case may be, to move up that ladder but just make them, you know, in that space where they want to be to where they're, they're the best technician we've ever had. That's fantastic. We're going to pay them accordingly. And we're not going to give them any direct reports because they're going to quit and then have the other track for the other guy who wants to be a leader and let them move in that direction. Because so often the only way to move up, the only way to get those pay raises is to take those management positions. And, you know, often we just drive great people right out the door because they don't want to do it. Or we, or we put them in it and they fail spectacularly and that's just a horrible thing to do to somebody. And so we, we really shouldn't do that. But that said, you still need to be the one who trains those people. You still need to be the one that provides us those skills and those opportunities and let them drive their careers. You, prov- you open the door and let them choose whether or not to walk through it. Don't shove them through it. 
You know, we do that too much in today's, you know, workplace, but open it up, let them come in. And, and, you know, this, this whole diversity and whatever else, let's, let's get in there. Let's get people with different thoughts, different, you know, different backgrounds, all these things, because they just bring so much to the workplace and or any group. When you have these new ideas that come in, I mean, the one thing I love about coming here or going to a pop-up or whatever, not everybody looks like me and that's awesome. And not everybody thinks like me, which is also awesome. And I learned so much. I mean, that same thing in the military. I mean, there were so many people I served with in, in 22 years that were very different. I mean, from people who were, you know, riding high with a silver spoon to those who I actually had someone who joined because the judge said batter jail. And I had the whole gamut and, and people from, from every religion, every ethnicity, every nationality. I mean, I had one guy, he, he came here as an illegal immigrant and managed to get legalized. I, I had to learn about that experience. And we need to be open to that. And we need to provide these people the opportunity to better their station, to expand their their uh, their experience and knowledge base. And yeah, open that door if they want to be leaders and let them do that. Yeah, you know, I, I have seen there's an epidemic in business right now of people who are really great at their job. So they get promoted into a position of leadership and then they don't actually give them any training. <laughs> <laughs> and how to lead and it becomes a huge disaster so once again ios you are needed christy let's go to you hi so one of the things i guess the the point i wanted to bring up is kind of a mantra that i've started to live by and some other people have told me hey you should mention that but it's the statement it's not about what a leader thinks it's about how the follower feels and then the follow-up to that is if the follower doesn't feel the way the leader intends then the leader needs to change. And it's managers see their people more as a liability, whereas a leader will see their people as an asset. And so, so it's all about perspective and accepting people. And like Lee was saying, about being able to take people for who they are and what they want and give them that space to allow them to be them, but at the same time, not dictating. You know, it's unfortunately I've been in those experiences where people have been promoted because they want the pay, they want the advancement, but it's only supervisory and we don't give them the training, we don't give them the knowledge. And one of the things I've done in a previous degree was it was back actually in the early 80s where they actually most companies took away the the pathway for the leadership track versus just the worker track. It actually started back in the early 80s. And so because everyone said, oh, everyone has leadership training. It's great. It's great. Well, now most of those who were part of that have retired out. And so everyone that's come up behind has not had that experience or that track. And so that's really when it actually started was in the early 80s. And so now we've seen that, that we're trying to get back to that, that having that leadership track and letting people get that development, because you can't get it by attending one hour seminar or reading a book. It's a, it's a culture, it's a skill, it's something that you develop. And those cultures such as the military that teach that on the way up, but again, they teach a very directive, authoritative style. So it's all about really understanding how your follower feels and not about telling them what you think. Well, let me let me ask you a little bit more. Let's go down this, this trail a little bit more because I know as a director, and I've talked about this other times, you know, 
I directed Legally Blonde, the musical, and I worked like it was over a year on just on the script before we even got to rehearsal. And I could, you know, oh, this is the place where the audience might chuckle. This is the place where they might, you know, shed a tear. And then actually watching the performance where, you know, there was roaring laughter. I was hearing sobs at the right time and controlling their emotions and their feelings, taking them on that journey was so incredibly successful. Uh, you know, and at the end of, uh, you know, the curtain goes down, the, ad, the audience stands up uh, for, you know, uh, applause. But I, if I'm a leader, I want to work on the emotions, the feelings of my employees so that they feel they're part of something bigger than themselves, that they're contributing to something larger. Are, are these the type of things that an IO psychologist can do to really shape the culture of the organization? So in my experience, and again, I just kind of, in my searching and trying to figure out, and I just really appreciate, you know, this seminar because it's like, Ooh, I can do that is, you know, like I'm going to take the coin of IOE things. I think that that's a, a buzzword I'm going to take from this, but I definitely do feel that it's the leader can set that culture to allow people not just saying, Hey, what do you want to do? But here, let me help you bridge that gap and that knowledge difference of what you want to do versus maybe what I need to do and being able to help you get there, help you understand, but understanding, you know, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. We hear that all the time is walk a mile in someone else's shoes, see their perspective. And when you see that, you're like, oh, or let me do things the way they would appreciate. So again, it just kind of goes back to let me take on and listen to that person and accept them and recognize them and acknowledge them and not tell them how to think or tell them how to feel, allow them to feel the way they feel. It's also been said in other situations that you two people can go through the same experience, same exact event and have totally different perspective or totally different outcome. So it's allowing people to just be who they are. And I think when we allow people to do that, it, it comes across so different. So it's culture, it's all culture, but that's that training that that leadership has to understand as to how they instill or benefit or incite that culture. It's not just, oh, let me do a mission and vision statement. It's how do I encourage that every day? How do I help them develop who they are or help them develop who they could become? I like that a lot. Uh, and Jeremy, I see your hand up. So yeah, let's go back to you. But I, but actually, I, I wanted to come back to you because you've often talked about leadership needing to get, you know, out of the penthouse and get onto the factory floor that, you know, and I'm wondering as a thought leader, how important is it with the communication with those frontline workers? It's really important. It's also not that hard. It's just one of those things that once you, once there is an expectation and once you stop to do it, uh, I just removed destiny, put the spotlight on me and I took it off. <laughs> She's probably going to get mad. So once you're a, um, it's important. I, I think what it, what it creates is, is an expectation. Like part of it is you start to feel a little, little vulnerable. And then part of it is like, if, if you're a leader and you're doing these kinds of things, because then, then there's, there's so much to worry about. Well, is this person going to think that I'm showing favoritism to this person? Is this person going to continue to count on me? And then I got to provide resources. If I have one interaction and then I don't, are they going to say, well, he never talks to me anymore. Or she never talks to me anymore. So I, I think it's one of those things that it doesn't take much. I, I piloted, I piloted this program for a number of months in this organization 
which are are basically behavioral prompts for leaders. There's a company now that stole my idea. They didn't steal it, but I realized that they just had the $40 million in funding. Uh, what's it called? Humu. Humu. So I create, so quick story, because everyone loves a really quick story, especially one that's going to turn out to be longer. So I piloted this program and I had it running for about three months. And I remember it was Thanksgiving morning, probably like 2000 and I don't know, 18. And I read this Wall Street Journal article that Humu, like these ex-Google execs got $40 million in funding to do the same exact same thing, just obviously a little better. You know, we were, I was using like Google Sheets and Google Forms, but we had 300 people world, worldwide, company-wide of execs, CEO, you know, line level servers. And it was these behavioral prompts. We made it into a game. And twice a, twice a week, they would get an email sent out and they would go and have a conversation that would, they would just ask one question and it could have been, Hey, how often have you been able to do something related to your passion at work today? And so they would go and do this. So now you have like this army of, of man, you know, managers, like everyone in the, uh, every level doing these, the results were amazing. I have a long, I have a laundry list of new connections that were made, people that stayed that were going to leave, people that ended up finding other jobs, cross training, new external recruitment things. It was just absolutely insane what happened simply because of having those single conversations. It doesn't take long, and all this happened. It took five to ten, five to fifteen minutes a week. That's absolutely it. So yeah, it's absolutely important. It's just a matter of how do we get people within organizations to understand how it's in their best interest to do it and how to not be, understand what their fears are, but also start to say, look, this fear is probably a little ridiculous. This fear might be unfounded, but come to them and with them in a strategic advisor type of way. So I wanted to go back to Christy was saying, also feel free. We were talking about this maybe an hour or two ago, the sessions are starting to blend in, which I guess is a good thing because everything's related. But we were talking about the different backgrounds that everyone has. So of course I go and I'm like, all right, let's, let's creep a little bit. So think about the different backgrounds. So Christy, bioenvironment, bio I can't even say it, bioenvironmental engineer at the Air Force, amongst other things, analyst for the US government. And when someone when someone's sharing, feel free, you know, stalk people. If you like some something that somebody says, connect with them on on LinkedIn, send them a message. It's okay to do that. And that's how you start to create these relationships. And you absolutely never know what's gonna come out, what's gonna come out of it. And I'll add, I, I've seen it happen just so often. I mean, Destiny, you remember when, when we came back from PSYOP, we had these these cohorts of people. Uh, like these 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 cohorts of of CBOT groups and new people that were coming in and they're doing they're doing these side projects and this and that, so that there's little things that you can do. And back to the thought leadership in the field of biopsychology, how to be a leader of the charge. I almost it almost makes me think of there's this book about something about how to how to manage chaos or something like that, and it talks about. Don't be the boiled frog. If you put a frog in boiling water, it jumps out. You got to put it in there, warm the water up, it'll swim and die, right? So how do we how do we do this in terms of leading, uh, being a leader of the charge of change within organizations, of brand awareness for our field? And yes, it has to be done. We we can't, you know, just have like huge circus events and say, hey, everyone, look at us or look at our ideas in the workplace. 
but at the same time, the, the why water rafting has provides so many really good analogies. So in being a leader of the charge, would you rather be whitewater rafting with some pretty big rapids without a paddle or with a paddle? Because many of you know, if you're whitewater rafting, when you go through the rapids, you better be paddling really fast because you want to go with the current instead of just getting churned. So there's different things that can be done to that kind of pull all this together in terms of brand building, in terms of molding ourselves into better practitioners, into better thought leaders, staying in tune with the research. The biggest benefactors of like, look, so Tom, Tom Lee and, and Linda Ann, everyone like our regular podcast contributors, who's the real benefactor of that? Is it our listeners or is it us? I know that I benefit a lot from it because I'm going, I'm doing research, I'm learning these things. I have to put it into into words or into analogies so that I can share that for the people that are um, in our cohort. So I I grow from that. I also grow. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. So we all, we grow from that. And I know this was, I missed the last hour. So a lot of this was probably talked about with like the podcast, but just to like, just with CBOC, so shameless plug here, like every CBOC member has the ability to have their own blog, for example, they're like their own blog channel. People can create events, people can do, people can create courses. There's all kinds of options because we have this enormous machine where we have everything from, uh, like I mentioned, blogs, videos, webinars, courses, any anything that can be used to benefit other people but we benefit by doing it. So we have a couple of people that are starting the blog channels. Rich Cruz, I think I'm sure he's here. He's doing one and he's got one that's starting up. So he's going to benefit greatly because of just the same way I benefit when I do prepare for one of the podcasts. Plus it helps with brand. So he's rowing and he rowing, you don't row, you paddle when water rafting, it's not a canoe. So he, he's, he's, taking his paddles and he's going through those rapids. So it's it's one of those things where the more we can stay involved and the more we can connect and stay connected to be that support system for each other, but also make sure that once people are in, because we mentioned, <laughs> Destiny said I'd end up swimming. <laughs> Just have your life vest on. It becomes one of those things we mentioned in the in the in the like the first half hour of today the signups for for the event and a certain a big percentage of it is our students and people who aren't yet working in the field so it's a good way to start to get some of those critical st- skills and start to connect and see how see what are the processes that are done when you're actually either consulting or doing executive coaching, working on projects or working within a particular company. And you start to be, you're able to approach things better. We can help each other with, all right, are we talking at a ninth grade reading level, which is generally how people want to read. And as I a psychologist, we can sometimes get into the, the weeds a little bit, but it's just one of those really important things where we've got Everyone here and every person that's interested in the field of IO, you have the world at your fingertips right now. The world is at your fingertips because you were in this enormously interesting spot. IO been around for a hundred years. We've got pretty much everything we need. 
where there's no lack of research. There's no lack of free trainings now. Like if you want to learn Python or whatever it is, all these things that are becoming really relevant, you've got the world at your fingertips because there's it's there's a very slim chance that IO just goes away. I will mention though, and Tom, Trip Braden. So many of you remember Trip Braden. Actually, he might he might even be on one of these sessions. Heck, he might even be here. Trip, if you're here, raise your hand or something. So Trip Braden is just to put it. He's an amazing guy and he's an amazing consultant and he consults for Warren Buffett, consulted for Steve Jobs. Like he's just the guy. He's like the guy that nobody knows, but is the man behind the scenes of a lot of really important stuff in the world. And me and Tom had the immense pleasure of working with him for quite a while. And one of the things that Tripp mentioned was that the field of organizational development. So that started And he says, look, that was basically a flash in the pan because the field couldn't get it right and they couldn't get their message straight and they couldn't get their branding straight. And it really went by the wayside because organizations weren't necessarily seeing the value. So we do have to be careful individually and as a field, but we've got so many things that are working for us, like so many people graduating with these IO degrees. We're seeing more and more jobs. There's colleges now that are starting bachelor's degree. Western Governors University, we're working with them. They're starting a bachelor's degree that uh, in IO, believe it or not, that's supposed to launch in August. So it's starting earlier and earlier. The programs are getting better and better. And programs are work. These universities are working with CBOC because they want those practitioner focused programs, which would have, and that's one of the things that has the opportunity to really provide a big hurdle because right now people are finding the looking for IO jobs, but coming to it with just that academic presence, because the gap has always been, we know the academics, but we're having a hard time. People aren't graduating with IO degrees saying, okay, well, I know how to actually consult. I know what it's going to mean in the workplace and I know how to practice. So luckily organizations are catching on. So that's good news. If you're a student now, we're going to be a student. The other good news is we've got us to start to make it. And that's another reason Another reason why CBUC was created is to fill in that gap of what's it going to look like and how as practitioners do we actually lead that particular charge. And Tom, I am trying to stay very on point with how to be a leader of the charge in IS psychology. So that's well- that. Well, let me ask you, because that's all great information. And, you know, CBOC is really in itself leading the charge and the work that you and Destiny doing with, you know, getting connected with the universities and the business community. But let me ask you more on a personal basis. What's it like when Dr. Jeremy Lukova goes in to talk to potential clients? How are you using that notion of thought leadership and getting them to see what potentially their organization could be, you know, what is that process like? The process, actually, Tom, if I hold my hands like this, does it make me look more professional? Yes, it does. <laughs> the process, <laughs> I noticed I was doing it. So the process really is asking good questions and tying things together. And there's also that level of confidence. Use analogies. People love analogies. Uh, it was Thomas Edison. Tom, I change the person each time I say it. Thomas Edison, another one of those Einstein, one of them used to go to Harvard Square and teach complex theories of relativity with oranges and balloons. So analogies are great. But what's it like? 
it's about seeing it, it really it's seeing things from their perspective asking good questions developing that trust right away and it's it's no it's no different i i i've i've coached so many executive clients who don't like they go into the coaching relationship sometimes they're told to do it they don't want to do it but within 5 minutes it's okay and they and they start to get excited because it's that initial it's just it's being able to take their perspective and tom complete broken record allow people to feel heard and understood without them having to say a word what are their what's their perfect world what are their challenges so that's the same kind of thing of how you can you know what's that book win friends and influence people or is it the back yeah that one i'm sure some of the concepts are in there too and that's how you that's how you would do it within an organization but the only tough thing about that is it's hard to do that in interviews I tried to do that once a while back and ask good questions up front in the interviewer. No, no lie. The interviewer said, uh, look, I'd like to be the one asking the questions here. <laughs> like, okay. So maybe not try that in the interview, but in, in real life, when you're looking at meetings, like that's an important thing to do because people, unless people know that you have their, their self-interest at hand, whether it's a CEO you're working with your new boss, uh, you're doing a presentation. You've got to be able to speak to the masses while speaking it, but it's uh, one person at a time. Well, thank you very much for that. And uh, a little thing from my world, if we can see your hands in your image, actually people's confidence in you does go up. So getting your hands in the screen, there we go. Everyone's on. <laughs> very interesting, Tom. There we it's go. It's good to know that. <laughs> thank you. Except for Lee, because his hands are just too big. <laughs> And with that, Jeremy, you know, we we're, we're, I think we're like two minutes over. So I know that um, I think it's the scavenger hunt coming up next. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at Seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At Seabock.com.